Hi, I'm Scott Cooper, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Match Play. In this episode, Justin Chesham, head coach of Christopher Newport University men's soccer, and I welcome Kelvin Jones. Kelvin is the UPSL head coach, crew two assistant coach, and assistant director of player development for the Columbus crew. Additionally, he was the assistant coach for the U.S. men's national team U-17 side that played in the recent U-17 World Cup in Indonesia. We discussed the recruiting process, finding the right fit, player development, and his experience at the U-17 World Cup. It was great to catch up with Kelvin, and we're looking forward to having him on again. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast, so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. Yellow man, I was uh, I was actually thinking about um, when you right after you left for Columbus, you came back for one of the legacy trips to Florida. Remember hopping the bus with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, do you remember how hard it freaking rained down there? And we were driving through, I mean, massive puddles. And yes, <laughs> and we, what's that? We stayed at that hotel right on the beach, right? Dude, I was just talking to Steve about how uh, the tide came up to our doors. <laughs> yes. I yeah. mean, I remember opening my door and I'm like, oh, I got to like take, I had to take off my shoes just to get to the lobby. And I just walked yeah, barefoot right. ankle deep and just dried off. Yeah. And then we come up to the pool. I, mean, that, I also remember that trip. The bus driver let me drive the bus down the street. I was about to say, man, <laughs> are, we allowed to, are we allowed to rat him out? I hope, <laughs> <laughs> hope he's not in trouble. He's <laughs> also the company. Yeah. Oh, man, that was. <laughs> Those were good times, man. Yeah, that trip was, was that always trip was fun. always fun. Yeah. Always fun. Really enjoyed it. I thought about still do uh, it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not with the club anymore, but I've thought about calling Bobby and just saying, "Hey, man, let me guess, coach. Let me just tag along, and <laughs> I'll recruit a little bit while I'm down there, and watch the MVP games or something." You know, uh, that's, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. But, well, look, man, I'm uh, I'm pumped to talk about this stuff because you're in a you're in a different world. Uh, you're, you know, attached to the academies that, you know, you're dealing with some of the best kids in the country and you too are, you know, I, I love the conversation right before and we're talking about you dealing with kids that are in the portal now. And, uh, so before we jump into all that stuff, you know, why don't you kind of give us an update? I, I I've seen you on TV a few times where, uh, we're sending pictures like, Oh, Kelvin spotting, you know, at this national team it's game. So now. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You're just you're just coming <laughs> to us, though, buddy. I'm not getting any autographs, okay? So, but uh, why don't you give us a little update on uh, what you got going on and um, you know your your jump at the, with the crew? Yeah, what we were just talking about has been this is year seven here at the club. Uh, we left Legacy in 2017 uh, for an opportunity to be here in Columbus. I started off as the U12 coach uh, when I first got here. We moved we moved here in August of 2017, and then in October of 2017, the same year, uh, we were brought into the office to say, hey, the club is going to be moving to Texas. So uh, we weren't sure what we were, yeah, we weren't sure what we were going to do. We actually thought about moving back. We thought about moving to Texas. We were thinking about other things, but uh, fortunately enough, we, we kind of stuck it out and stayed. Uh, this is year seven, but I've worked my way from uh, U12s through our U15s through our U19s through various openings and people moving on and club evolving and then um, 2020 August of 2020 I stepped into the role of academy director uh, and helped run the club uh, for the last three years uh, and then most recently this past summer I've, I've stepped out of that role and then moved back onto the field in coaching um, the head coach for our U19s help assist our second team. And then um, I help uh, Dan Locke, our new director of player development, help manage the academy and the coaching side and the player development side. So it's been quite a journey. I've had worn many hats throughout the, the seven years here at the club, but uh, we are blessed and fortunate. And we, we love it here in Columbus. We love the club. It's been really fortunate to me and help kind of involve my career. And it's always an environment where we're looking to continue to grow and to learn. 
Yeah, actually, um, I'm going to be out there. We're bringing the we're bringing the boys. We're playing two games. We're flying into well, hopefully, we're flying into Columbus. Maybe taking the bus, but uh, we're going to come out and play Kenyon and uh, yeah. Denison. Denison's in. It's in Columbus, right? And Kenyon's a little bit out. It's Kenyon's a little bit outside. Denison. Yeah, it's like 30 minutes outside of the city. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I know we fly into Columbus, and uh, I was going to give you a call, man, so we can uh, either get a tour, come see a session, maybe hang out on the field for a little bit, give the guys a, a little crew experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You guys, let me know. Let me know some dates. And if we're in town, absolutely, we'd love to catch up. And yeah. We give you a tour of the new facility. She, not she's, um, Gunderson was in town a couple months ago with the mm-hmm. girls, um, yeah. and they were able to set up a, a stadium tour and, and come check out the facility. So yeah, happy to, yeah, to make anything work. No, absolutely. And we're an open door when it comes to sessions. So if you and the staff want to come out, let me know. Yeah, no, absolutely. We want to do that. We'll go hang out, get a beer or something. Absolutely. But um, well, look, man, I want to jump into this. Uh, I I want to start with something that we haven't i don't know if we talked about this much on the podcast scott but uh the draft just took place so mm-hmm. kind of help me out with that because i watched the draft I, I love the nfl draft i'm already i'm a bears fan we got the first pick so i'm pretty excited you know i want to see what we do this year <laughs> but mls drafts is a little different and i'm a little blown away by something it, it, it shocks me when i see like picks being skipped or i'll see these kids get drafted and you know, like it just it seems like it's way different. You know, what's what's the process like? What's you know, I don't know how much involvement you have with that. But I mean, what do what do what do you guys think? Who are they drafting? How do they go through this 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 process to get these kids? Uh, disclaimer, I don't claim to know much about it or to be a, an expert on it. Uh, this is That's more fair. my kind of outside observations and and have seen how things have gone throughout the years through various clubs. So um I think it's different depending on who you are in your organization. Um, if it, it can range from not using your picks at all to using all of your picks and drafting somebody. Uh, and again, I think a little bit of the strategy goes from if you're not using your picks, it's because you are using your internal talent to fill that roster. Right. And then you're using your second team roster. And then you're using those picks and selling those picks off for uh, TAM, GAM money that you can then use for acquiring first team players. Or you can use some of those picks for players that you know are going to continue to grow and be a part of your second team that might not be ready for your first team that can help create a core group of older, more mature talent around some of your younger talent. Uh, And then the flip side of that is you're higher, you are kind of drafting a guy that you are going to bring into a preseason that you think has potential to be in your first team roster, Uh, whether they make it right away and they go directly to your first team or they come down to your second team, they get you minutes. um, And then they progress within that environment and hopefully they move their way up. Um, For us, we've over the last few years, it's been a mix of both. Um, Last year was the first year of MLX next pro, which is our first year that we actually had a second team here. So we used a draft to, solidify core group of guys uh that which made a really competitive team we had some younger academy players that weren't right quite ready to make the full jump to the second team which we put them in that training environment they got their they got some time uh and then we had some guys that we thought maybe could be ready for the first team after year one um but played majority in that environment got playing time and then after year one of Atlantic next pro uh three of those guys have moved on Four of those guys have moved on. Uh, goalkeeper Patrick Schulte, who ended up being starting goalkeeper um, for the first team. Mo Farsi, Jason Russell Rowe, uh, Philip Quinton were all guys that uh, played in the second team and then promoted their way up to to the first team. And then that promotion also left the core group of guys that created a balance for the transition for the club of kind of investing time into our younger talents. So year two, we stepped, we still had that core group of guys. We drafted a couple other guys as well, kind of rounded it out. And then we were able to uh, kind of promote some of that younger talent and give them minutes. So out of MLS Next Pro last year, uh, if you're looking at playing minutes, we had the most minutes of players, uh, birth years 05 and 06 by, I think, almost 1,500 minutes. So we played Whoa. majority of our younger kids, got a lot of time compared to, 
other clubs. So I think it's their, their strategy. And then you have other clubs that basically take their high potential academy kids, put them into the second team. So they're getting that environment. Um, sometimes it's not the most competitive, but to each their own, it's a little bit different in how kind of you use that draft, but also most importantly, how you're developing that talent, which is, I think it's the beauty of um, kind of the MLS academies and um, yeah. the evolution of, of what it's going to be and what it has been. Yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, you and I are in our forties now and uh, the pro environment significantly different than it was when we were growing up. And it seems like most of the top, top kids, they have to go, into these, you know, MLS two or, you know, these other groupings before they can even think about playing in the MLS. I mean, it just, these kids that are drafted really, really high are still, I mean, they're minor league basically, you know, to use a baseball term here. I mean, how many guys are being drafted and immediately helping the top division, the top teams? Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't begin to say, cause I don't know. Um, okay. And he, there's various levels of the draft as well Is you've got guys that have, been in college for four years and then entered the draft. Uh, you've got guys that have only been there for a year or two or less than four years uh, that sign contracts with the league and go generation Adidas, who are basically guaranteed to end up on a first team, depending on what those contracts um, end gotcha. up looking like. So uh -huh. those guys most likely end up going straight to the first team and contributing, if not contributing right away, down to the second team, getting minutes and then coming back up. Those are the guys that, um, the clubs have invested in, and most importantly, the league have invested in, in terms of future talent. Um, you've also got some of those guys now um, that are foregoing uh, Generation Adidas contracts and uh, looking to maybe to go USL or look to go directly overseas. There's been a few guys um, the last few years that have directly gone overseas straight from college, and you're starting to see that a little bit more as well. So I don't say you necessarily have to be in an MLS environment to become a pro. It's obviously a plus because you develop in that environment. They get to see you day in and day out. Uh, and if it's you're comparing a kid that you've invested in the last five years versus a kid that you've seen play 40-some-odd college games, you might invest in the kid that's been in your environment for the last four years, five years, rather than sure. taking a chance. Yeah, so I'm sure the, the number one priority, uh, the number one goal is to find these youth kids and then eventually see them playing in the stadium one day. And uh, I think I think that's awesome. But you have way more than just a roster of 20 guys for the MLS team. So you've got, you know, hundreds of kids in the academy. And a lot of these kids are going to end up having to go play college soccer instead or go to different pro environments. So jumping into the college world from Columbus, I mean, kind of, you know, what's that look like? Uh, you know, is it changing since you've been there? You know, you've been there now for a few years at the top working with those older guys. Uh, so what? What does that look like from when you got into where it is now? And then, uh, you know, you had mentioned the transfer portal. So kind of transitioning into that, what's it like now for those kids after they've gone off to school? Yeah, I mean, as much as the, the club itself has evolved in my time here, uh, we talked about it from being here, the club potentially moving. And then when that happens, you, you lose staff, you lose leadership. Um, it's a transition of bringing in new staff, new leadership. And most importantly, it's getting the first team up and then, you're reinvesting and pushing the, the investment down into into the academy. So my time here, um, when I first got here, uh, of all the homegrowns that we've had, all of them had gone to college except for two. Uh, I think it was the very first one and then one about eight years ago, nine years ago now, um, that went straight to the first team. But every other homegrown that we've had outside of that went straight to college. That was the pathway to get to our first team. Part of that was because we didn't have a second team. So we talk about a second ago, are you willing to take a kid that you've worked with for four or five years versus a college kid? Well, the kid that you've worked with for the four years in the academy, five years in the academy, you never actually got to see them play against adults because we never had a second team or an environment to play against, play adult football. So the environment for us to see them play adult football was to go to college. So some of them were there for six months, played a season in college. Some of them were there for four years, and then we brought them back. But that was the pathway. Um, now, with the introduction of our second team over the last two, three years, uh, we are now able to see the younger talent in an adult environment. So you're able to make a more informed decision. Uh, when it's time to make that decision, do they go pro pathway or then they do, do they go college? Uh, so that's kind of been the evolution of the club in terms of the, the pathway. Get me wrong. Our job, my job, is is to develop 
professional players for our first team. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, that's the goal. Um, and it's to get them from the academy to the second team to the first team or the academy to the first team, whatever that is. Every kid's going to be different. But the reality is the majority of these kids are going to end up going to college and college will end up being their pathway. And my job is to, to help find the best school for them. So as we were saying, the majority of our kids have gone to college. But um, in my time here, we've had uh, five, five of those homegrowns in the last seven years have gone to college. Uh, and then hopefully we'll have soon now some of those homegrowns are coming straight from the academy as there's more investment. So, and again, some of those homegrowns over the last four or five years have gone from uh, being in college for three months, basically their freshman season, to uh, being at top schools, uh, Georgetown's, Wake Forest's, Stanford's, um, graduating, getting their degrees, and then coming back and signing first team contracts um, before they enter enter the draft. So. Um, it's a bit different. I was a bit long winded. I don't know if I answered the question, but uh, that's kind of been the evolution of the club and where we are at and what we're trying to do. And uh, for your academy, you have a top academy team per age group. Do you have multiple teams, or how big's the pool in general per age group? We have three full academy teams U15, U17, U19. Uh, and it's just one team. So okay. depending on the the age group depends on the number of kids. We try to keep our rosters small because at the end of the day, it's important to see the kids play. And if you've got a roster of 30 some kids, you're then having to mix and match at the, at some point, there's going to be an environment where a kid doesn't play. So right. how have we created the best environment for this kid by having a roster of 30 when we know eventually he's not going to play. So it's better to make some tough decisions rather than who's going to play and who's not going to play. Um, but we have a roster of roughly between 16 to 22 kids. Uh, that depends on the age group. And our U17 age group is a double age group of U16s and U17s. So you're typically going to have a larger roster at those two at that one age group because it's a double age group. Um, and what we have found at, at U16 slash U17 age group, it's a big jump going from U15 to U17s. Uh, and historically, you lose a lot of kids uh, making that jump uh, just because they haven't physically grown and developed. So right. also by having a little bit smaller of a roster, you make sure that the kids that are on that roster, the kids are that you've invested in, they're going to play because they need to play. And you're not just hiding them down the line, down a roster and protecting them and saying you're not going to play. We'll find the right time for you to play. Well, you have a small roster. You're going to play. If you struggle, yeah. that's part of growth. Um, we'll put you in an environment to make sure that there's some success, but, uh, for us, it's important that the kids are playing and, and, and having roster sizes that reflect that. Nice. And so these kids that are going off to school, they're not ready to sign a big contract or anything. You want to put them through the college pathway. Uh, kind of what's your um, uh, program in place? Do you have a guy that's kind of in charge of housing these guys, finding these guys where a good home? I mean, what's what's that look like for these guys? Like, how do they come to you with? You know, this is what I want. I obviously want to throw in some academic credentials there. They're not just they're not just going to once they go to school, I'm sure it's more than just, well, which is the best soccer fit. I mean, you gotta look at the other things just in case everything goes backwards and there's money involved. Mm-hmm. So kind of what, what does that process look for those kids? Yeah, we have we have a person in place um that kind of spearheads our college outreach and recruitment. Um I was doing it over the last kind of three years in my role as the academy director, just networking and knowing coaches such as you and my previous roles at the at the legacy and kind of the coaches and the networks of people that I had, I had developed there and just kind of being that liaison and helping them. And when I first started, it was just like when I was at the legacy, um, just kind of being a, a voice and kind of help navigating them through the process. And there was always three things that I told them that had to make sense when you make your college decision. Soccer has to make sense. Academics has to make sense. And then your life outside of soccer has to make sense. Uh, two of those three things have to make sense. Because if they don't, and only one of them does, the likelihood that you stay there isn't going to, going to happen. If soccer ends up, if heaven forbid you end up getting a major injury and soccer doesn't work out, well, you're still there for your academics and you still like enjoy the life outside of, outside of uh, soccer. If academics isn't what you have gone to college for, which I don't think I did either. Um, but I enjoyed the, the life outside of soccer, but most importantly, I enjoyed soccer. So those two things for me made sense. 
Um, and then flip side, if you don't necessarily like the life outside of soccer, but you you know you can survive there for four years because you're with the academics and you enjoy it, and then you're enjoying soccer, then you're willing to deal with the one thing that doesn't make sense. Um, so I always navigate and always kind of advise them, does it make sense? Uh, always tell them go on a visit uh, because you have to experience it. And then kind of narrow down, like you don't need to know what you're going to end up doing, but you have to have an idea of what you want to do academically. Um, yeah. Try not to go into it blind um, because if you go into it blind and you realize that life outside of soccer doesn't make sense, but academics and soccer might make sense. And then you get to school and you realize, well, academics doesn't make sense. Then um, you're likely end up, unfortunately, getting into the portal. So over my time here, just kind of help navigate those kids through that. And I mean, a lot of it is it, we are blessed to be in an environment where a lot of this college attention comes to these kids rather than these kids having to go find it based off yep. the environment that we're in. So yeah. uh, more so being a, a, a guide to help navigate some of the conversations that they're having with these coaches. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's not my choice. They have to have a personal relationship with these coaches. So help and navigate through some of the noise because uh, coaches will be more upfront with, an adult or the coach rather than they will be with uh, the player itself. Um, so just hearing what they're saying to the families and then also the back conversations that I have with those coaches as well, just to make sure that the communication is the same and they're all on the same page and then help spirits steer them into the right direction. So uh, yeah. I've kind of pushed that on to uh, David Winner, who is our goalkeeper coach, but has a uh, really strong connection throughout the country in the soccer, in the college world. Uh, that still kind of helps take that approach um, and take a wider reach to to the cl the kids that are in the going the college route. It's interesting if you think about the kids that you're you're working with. I mean, they're some of the top kids in the country. It it actually it's harder in some respects for them to find the right home because there's there's heavy money involved. I mean, you got the the bigger schools to choose from. These kids want to go pro. And so, you know, you mentioned those three things, you know, the school, the the soccer and the social aspect for those kids. It's not 33 and a half, 33 and a third, 33 and a third. It's probably like 80 yeah. percent soccer, 10 and 10 for the other two. And let's be real. If you're going to one of these big schools, the social life is going to be a blast. They all have pretty good academics. So it's not like you're, you're making a bad choice. But, man, if you're not playing, that's a that's a dagger. Yeah. If you're the yeah. second guy. You know, that's a dagger. And if it's if you're putting that big of an emphasis on that that third, you know, third, if it's if your third's actually eighty percent, man, and, and it's taken away from you. You know, you mentioned injury, but yep. most of these kids are in the portal. It's not because of an injury; it's because they ain't playing. They're just yes. they're healthy. They're just the backup. They're just the third guy, or they also recruited this kid from another big club or from overseas, and they're just I can't beat this kid out. And so, yep. uh, you know, you're dealing with a whole different animal. I mean, a lot of the kids that I've talked to in the recruiting process. I, I kind of, it's funny when COVID happened, I said, you kind of got a blessing here. You know, these, we're not talking about full ride type kids, just talking about the, the other 90% of kids that aren't going to get any money. It's like, well, you, you've had soccer taken away from you. You now know what it's like to not mm -hmm. have soccer. Go make a decision without it and then add the soccer on top of it. And I talk to kids all the time that hurt themselves. I use that, that same phrasing. Oh, you, you lost soccer yeah. because you blew yeah. out your knee. This is actually, if you can you look at this as a blessing, I'm now going to make a decision where soccer is third out of those three things that you mentioned. Or maybe I even lower soccer to like 10%, 15% of my decision. I'm now going to choose based off of exactly what I want to study and the exact mm -hmm. social environment. And then if I can play soccer, great. You know, so it's you're dealing with kids that are like, no, coach, I, I want to go pro from here. I have to make a soccer specific decision. And, you know, you're, you're talking about an academic financial decision that soccer is supposed to be down the list a little bit. And for these kids, it's not. I mean, uh, it's a whole different animal that you're dealing with than, uh, than most of the kids that we were dealing with together here in Williamsburg. I mean, uh, are you running into a lot of kids coming to you like, Phew, I thought this was a spot and now it's not. I mean, what are those kids telling you that are unhappy? Yeah, I mean, historically, no, but more so recently, um, especially in this year and and to go back to what you just said about the kind of the tearing the 80 to the 10. Um, yeah. I think some of these kids now, are like there's money involved 
and these kids are being heavily recruited. So obviously there's some academic money involved. There's some scholarship money involved. Um, and kind of reading, reading behind the scenes in terms of like, the money that you get is also tied with your, your, your feeling of worth to the college. Well, I've got more soccer money, so the college really likes me, so I'm going to play a ton. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's about you going in and performing. And if you're mm-hmm. not going to perform, it uh, doesn't matter how much money they're giving you. They're going to go with a guy that is outputting and, and contributing to the success of the group. Because uh, at the end of the day, uh, a college coach's career is on wins and losses in most, especially these bigger programs, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's a reality that some of these kids need to go through. Uh, and granted, like, just because you might not be playing your freshman year doesn't mean you're necessarily not going to play your, your other years. Whether you're on a ton of money or whether you're on zero money, you have to go through that process of failure, which the majority of these kids don't end up going through until later on in life, sometimes in college, to understand exactly what is, what's the priority to you. Um, and I think some of these kids are probably going through that more so now than they ever really have been, especially in their youth careers. And I don't mean to say that it's a, a cop-out and a jump to a place where I'm, I'm more... Uh, want it because some of the kids that I've had conversations with over the last few years have actually played a lot at a certain school, but they've just realized that it wasn't the right fit. So when we come back to soccer's 80% and then academics and social is 20, well, at a big school, at these big programs, yeah, your your social life, you know, it's going to be great, but there's a different social life um, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, than there is in New York City or Mm -hmm. Chicago so you as a person need to know what what's the environment that you want to be around also academically there's a difference between your graduating class being a thousand kids versus your graduating class being 20,000 kids or your freshman seminar uh, the highest number of kids that you got in your class is 100 versus your freshman seminar you're in a lecture hall and you've got 700 kids in your classroom so these are the types of academic and social aspects and, and decisions that these kids need to make because we got you got kids that go to big schools but they go to a big school that's in a remote town but they've come from a big city and they realize this isn't the life for me like <laughs> there's I can't go as soon as I go 10 minutes out of, outside of campus it's it's cows and trees and mountains and there's nobody there and the next big city's three hours away um so yes, like the majority of your decision is based on soccer, but then it's really important to get down to the finer decisions of what academic life actually looks like. Like I remember at Wake, and the reason why I, ch- I chose Wake because at the time Wake's undergrad was four thousand kids, um, and I had the opportunity to go to a larger schools where graduating classes the, whole, the entire graduating class were four thousand kids, right and freshman lectures were 700 kids and I was just I was just a number rather than um having a relationship with my teacher and I knew about me academically like I wasn't the most stellar scholar but I knew if I went to uh, a school where I was just a number and there was no accountability for me being in class I would have not survived uh I knew that I needed to be in a class where a teacher saw me every day and knew whether or not I was in class or not in class uh and if I wasn't in class uh, they told my coach, and my coach uh, held me accountable. So I think these are some of the, the finer details and decisions that kids need to make or to evaluate when they're making uh, what is hopefully a decision for the next four years of their life. Well, what you're talking about here is reality. It's simple. Yep. It's just reality. These are the things that you're spending the next four years on, and for the majority of kids, it's you're spending money on. And so, um, you know, like the stuff that you're talking about, this reality, it dealing with your kids the kids that you're at with that with columbus i mean it's a whole different world than majority of the kids because most of them have quick timelines like hey these three top top schools these schools that you just watched in the ncaa tournament are all offering one of your kids and they're not going to wait around until march for you to like sift through and figure it out like no they want to know soon and i get it like they they're picking from the best 15 Mm -hmm. kids or whatever like i I need to know or else i'm going to go to the other kid and so most of these kids, unfortunately, are making a decision quickly, snap judgment. Uh, well, I've got three, four rides to choose from or a full ride and a couple of really good scholarship offers to choose from. And I got to decide now. And it's it's 
it's tough. I, I, I feel bad for those kids in a, in a lot of cases because some of them jump to a, a decision thinking it's the right one. And, you know, they didn't get to spend enough time to make that call. And for the majority of kids, they do. Majority of kids like, oh, well, nobody's recruiting me. I need to I need to make a decision uh, based yeah. off of these schools. And I, I kind of like, you know, it's a different flip to think about it. But those kids have a little bit of an advantage because they're making a decision for all the right reasons. And then hopefully soccer works once once they get to be seen because it's now January and mm-hmm. they've slipped through the cracks or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. You know, you're dealing with a lot of kids that have, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with kids that have to make these decisions so quickly. It's I, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could. Um, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to run into more kids unhappy, you know, with, with that. And it's, it's unfortunate because they're really good players, man. Yeah, and and I don't I wouldn't say that there's anything secret about the process by which we go for, go through. And like I said earlier, in my time here, um, I haven't had to deal with a lot of kids that have had to transfer. They they've stuck with their schools and and it's worked out. Um, but I also we talked about it earlier. Like you've got some kids that commit super early, and then you've got some kids that see these kids commit super early, and they're they're freaking out. Well, I've missed my window, and uh, I've missed a school. I'm going to have to settle on the school and the reality of it is everybody's timeline is, is truly different. Um, mm-hmm. We've got, I remember a few years back, we've, we've had a really talented, I won't say the age group, but we had one really talented age group um, in which a lot of the kids committed to a school relatively early. Um, and one of the top talents, uh, a couple of the top talents thought that they were hopefully go pro pathway and they kind of put off the college recruiting and never really developed those relationships that were needed to have, to make the right decision. And come their senior year, they hadn't found a school. Uh, like, guys, it's okay. Like, we'll find you a school. And and they were like, oh, well, all my top choices and all my D1 are, choices are going to be gone. Like, the reality is, um, even in their senior year, there were still a lot of top D1 schools that were actually looking for kids in their age group. And that happens every year. So sometimes kids just pump the brakes like there's always going to be an opportunity and if the if your favorite school passes you by it might pass you by it doesn't mean that uh another opportunity doesn't open up something will open up and for instance in some of these kids especially that um waited until let's say waited it just happened to be in their senior year they made a decision you had kids that made a decision and have gone to top d1 schools and are playing at top d1 schools a month before preseason started so they got kids in their own age group that committed two, three years prior to that while he commits uh, a month before preseason starts. And he's at one of the top schools in the country and he's playing. So um, I think one thing for hopefully kids that hopefully listen to this podcast is yes, like you're going to have friends that commit early, but your pathway, your timeline is going to be different. And you're not going to miss an opportunity if you're doing the right things in terms of continuing to have conversations with schools, developing relationships, um, because there also might be an opportunity where you commit to a school early. You realize, unfortunately, some things might not work out. Financial aid falls through. Uh, other things happen where you then have to go back and hopefully talk to some of these coaches that you've had other relationships with. And uh, that timeline may be different. And then you might end up going to a different school. So um, there's always this this internal pressure of making the right choice like everyone will make the right choice when the time comes yeah i mean look at your club team i mean how many of those guys went to go play college soccer i mean almost all of them right if yep. not all of them i mean yep. uh i mean hey i, I guess played for that team once <laughs> I, I was an emergency ad if we put it that way <laughs> yeah but uh, i mean it was <laughs> yeah so uh take all those guys you're talking about timelines how many of those guys, I mean, look at, look at the different personalities, the different wants, the different desires, the different majors they wanted to study. And you guys were all from the same, you know, part of the country. And you guys all were on the same team, bunch of goobers, bunch of fun guys. Mm-hmm. And how many different desires and wants did they all have? And, and so to think that you guys can have the same timeline is just, just mm-hmm. ridiculous. And you had some superstar kids, some rock star students, uh, some other kids that were, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to end up Division One, but I'm going to have to take my time because, you know, Kelvin and Stokes and some of these other guys yeah. are going to get these offers first. And it's like, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Take your time there and make sure you're, you're making the right decision here. And uh, 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's 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 an ugly process. And uh, the reality, this is the, the biggest thing that we probably talk about on the podcast is the reality. Find your reality. Get people that yes. you can trust to give you, you know, re- realistic expectations and realistic answers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing with those kids because, uh, you know, it's I, like I said, I feel I, I, I worry about those guys because it's like, hey. I got one week to make a decision. That's just, that's a tough, that's a tough yeah. one. And I get why they have to. So uh, interesting though. Interesting. Yeah. We've, at least in my experience with a lot of the kids, we, the coaches and the programs that we've worked with have been, have been really good to work with. And I think rarely have we had a timeline where a kid has to make a snap decision. Um, that's good. We've actually given some time to, to kind of evaluate and make sure it was the right fit. So um and I know our environment's a little bit different, but uh, but there are, there are programs out there, there are coaches out there that do it for the right reasons, uh, and not necessarily wanting to over recruit um, and giving kids the time that they need to make the right decision. Because at the end of the day, um, it's an investment that the club and the, the school is making as well that they're hopefully making for for four years, yeah. and they want to make sure it's the right fit. Well, yeah, and if they truly love a kid, then why wouldn't they give them a little bit more time? You know, I'm sure a lot of those guys that, you know, decided to, hey, you know, I'll give you I'll give you a few extra weeks or an extra month or whatever. A lot of it came with. uh, But where are we on your list? You know, if you got me fourth or fifth, then all right, take all the time you want. I'm going to recruit assuming you're not coming. I've done that with kids myself where, you know, you know, hey, what's your timeline? Oh, you want to wait till this event? Cool. That's in three months. I'm going to assume you're not coming. So I'm going to keep recruiting. Now, there's obviously no money involved with me and our rosters are bigger at the Division three level and. It's it's just different. I get that, but it's the same ideology by by these coaches. I mean, if they truly love this Columbus Crew kid, they're going to pry a little bit, make sure they're you know one or two on the list, and then they're going to say, "Hey, look, you know, take your time. We love you. We want you to be here, but you know, don't don't wait till March. Don't wait till April. Yeah. You know, I, I, can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't be left empty-handed here. You know, to kind of give the coaches coaches some defense here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, recruiting and how different it is nowadays, man. It's compared to when you and I are being recruited and even just a few years ago, it is it is night and day different. COVID, transfer portal, all this stuff has completely flipped it upside down. And uh, I mean, of course, there's also way more talent than there used to be. Yeah, I mean, way more talent and uh, more good club teams out there, more good coaching at the youth level than when we were growing up. You know, I mean, you know, no, no offense to my dad, but. I still have the soccer for dummies book. You know, I read it from time to time just to get a little refresher. And so, uh, you know, it's that's one of the things. There's not, you know, a thousand more schools. The You know, it's the same amount of schools for the most part. It's uh, there's just way more kids. I mean, it's yeah. the level's way better than it was when we were growing up. Yeah, better, way more kids and talent is more spread out. Like mm-hmm. it's I can't imagine to be a kid to be recruited in this environment compared to when we were growing up and i also can't imagine being a coach now and trying to find the talent and the allocation of resources which events do you go to uh, which kids do you go see because uh, at least back in the day it, the collection of talent was relatively in the same spot um, now it's 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 all over um for good or bad but yeah the, the landscape the world uh by which we all have to navigate now compared to when we were younger is, is, is much different. Oh, yeah. Well, and the age group changed. Now there's two age groups to find seniors. And it's, uh, you know, you're watching three just to watch juniors and seniors. It's, yeah, it's, and there's more events than ever before. And, yeah. uh, you know, and yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, there's a ton of talent out there and it's definitely difficult. I mean, I just at the big ECNL event and I could have gone down there with absolutely no commitments, no, no understanding of the landscape at all. I'm like, yeah, I just took a job. Let's go recruit for the first time. And the amount of talent that was there uncommitted was unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about it. You know, we had a kid on campus the other day and I, I have found that this year's class of seniors have actually been hit the hardest from COVID in terms of recruiting. And it sounds like, how is that possible? And really my only proof is when I go to these big events, nobody's committed yet. And there's so yeah. many good kids that, Normally, I'm like, this kid might have gotten a few bucks to go Division One, and he doesn't have any offers yet. Like, I don't understand. There's so many kids that fit that criteria. And, you know, you, you look at a lot of the schools now, more schools are living in the portal. More schools are recruiting overseas. And this is still mm-hmm. a year when kids are still having their fifth year of eligibility. 
And so a yes. lot of division ones, yeah, a lot of division ones are like, wait a minute, I, I still got this kid who's already been here for four years. I get him for a yep. fifth. Like, I don't need to go get a freshman. And so, you know, the division ones are recruiting a little bit less, at least domestically because of that. And I mean, I get it. The trickle down has, uh, you know, been fruitful for us. There's kids I, I never yep. would have thought I would have gotten. So it's nice that way. But, you know, then you go past that and there's no home for these kids. You know, yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. You, if you look at the timeline, these these seniors were, what, freshmen when all this hit. So their entire high school career, they've been having to deal with kids that have an extra year for, for COVID. Yep. So there's might not be the need to actually recruit when they can keep a kid in-house. Uh, sure. Especially you can keep a kid in-house and then you can invest in maybe a kid that's overseas um, because you've already got a kid that's there. It's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years if it kind of uh, it's kind of snaps back once these COVID years are gone and uh, yeah. positions and spots continue to open up. I, I wonder what the landscape kind of looks like. Yeah, well, it'll definitely be different because it seems like every five years it's flipped on its head somehow. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, people are talking about separating out the big, big schools and and creating their own league with that. I mean, it's who knows? Who knows what decisions are going to be made? We're all kind of like twiddling our thumbs wondering and you know, then uh, I know that Division One for a long time was looking to make it a year-round process, yep. which I'm sure the pro academies would love that, you know, so they're not taking these huge breaks. I mean, this is one of the things I tell kids all the time. It's like, you're going to go to college, and if you're talking to me, a Division Three school, where we're on the lowest end on how many times you're going to have a coach at your practices, I mean, you'll check in mid-August. Let's say you have a pretty good year and you get to mid-November. That's only three months. Mm-hmm. And then I don't see you again until the spring, and I get 24 days with you. So three Wild. months plus 24 days. I mean, that's less than four months, less than four months of soccer. What are you doing the other eight? You know, like that's, I mean, and, and so for you, for example, you're trying to get these kids to turn pro. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, can you imagine these guys overseas taking eight months off? I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, no. it's, I, I get, it's, it's, it's an interesting world. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, it, it, I, I can't wait to be back on this podcast in five years. Like, hey, Mary, we talked about that. <laughs> way different now. You know? <laughs> Kelvin, how do you guys get players into your academy? How much time you got? <laughs> um, it's it's at the, at the heart of it. It's, it's about programming, right? Like, what are the things that you can do to cast a as big a net as you can and that programming varies depending on the age group so the younger age groups if we're if we're casting a net it's probably more local then as you get to the older age groups you're going national um so uh, part of part of the club mission is just to own our backyard uh own the region so for us the region is so Within three hours from Columbus, you can get to Pittsburgh, you can get to Cleveland, you can get to Toledo, you can get to Detroit, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, uh, Louisville. Uh, and within that area, you can get, there's roughly, I think it was about 14 million people. So if you put that on in terms of geographic landscape compared to all other MLS academies, we're probably like top five. So... Mm-hmm why not then have the mission of finding all the top kids within that area? So that's, and then with that being the heart of the mission, you kind of put your program around that. So um, we have younger U11, U12 programming that meets once a week. We have 13, 14 programming that kind of expands from there. Uh, Then we go full-time teams at 15, 17s and 19s. And then the allocation of resources from there, you can go from, uh, weekly trainings, camps, clinics, uh, combines, and then the man scouting of what our scouting network looks like and who the clubs such as Legacy and, this, and the connections that we have there and, and the communication that we have with clubs and, and bringing kids uh, in. So, um, I mean, I could spend an, another two-hour podcast and diving deep into what that looks like, but uh, at the end of the day, it's about how you program and, and putting people in the right place, the right people in the right place to kind of help you grow and cast a, a wider net as you can. Can a can a youth player like actively advocate for themselves to, hey, I want to go play for an MLS pro team uh, academy? I mean, they just reach out to you or, I mean, how does that work? Uh, 
I get, you want me to I, post your email address? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> find it anyway. I get LinkedIn. I get Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's emails. So yeah, obviously I mean, not affected. Yeah, but how do you effectively, you know, get get it on your radar? Yeah, I mean, some like you can't knock the hustle, right? Because some of these times, you depending on the mood that I'm in, I'll click on an email like, oh, this kid's interesting. I'll shoot him over to the scouting department. Um, but just in general, a, a random kid, uh, we've got an intake uh, submissions where a kid can put in their information. If they've got a highlight reel, they can put in the link to the highlight reel. And we, in our scouting department, we have people that go in and look at that weekly, daily, and just kind of filter through uh, those players. And then based off of those uh, kind of clips, uh, they'll recommend whether or not we want to actually go get eyes on them. So they may go to an event to reach out, go to an event, find where the games are or um, depending on where they're at, maybe even bring a kid in. Uh, so there's various different levels of filtering through that process, uh, bring them in for a combine and things like that. So I would imagine most professional clubs have that intake, the ability to, like I said, just to cast a wide net as you can. And sometimes you can't get there, everybody. And sometimes kids just have to come to you. Um, so there is a way for kids to, to go onto our recruiting website, our academy website and go into recruitment and they can fill out that link to kind of, submit um, a CV for themselves and you kind of see what happens. But I I get daily at all age groups, kids shooting emails and their CVs and their highlight tapes. So uh, you, you never know. One day uh, the right person might open it up and you might end up in a professional club. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure you have eyes everywhere too. It's like, uh, like you mentioned, you have relationships already with clubs, but uh, uh, I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of guys that'll, They'll kind of like push this out to college coaches and other yep. guys. They're like, "Hey, you know, while you're while you're yep. at this event, go check out some of these U13 games and just if you see a kid, man, let us know, and that way you can broaden broaden your reach a little bit." I'm sure that's uh, yep. the process. Yeah. Yep. 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 Absolutely. So, uh, so what's next, man? What do you uh, What do you got coming down the the pipe, man? Anything exciting? Uh, well, it's been a heck of a year. I don't know if it gets more exciting than this last year, to be honest with you. It's yeah. been it's been wild. Um, we actually start back. The academy starts training again next week, uh, and then the following week, uh, our second team, uh, crew two, will start kind of their pre preseason players coming in for uh, voluntary training. And the week after that, we kind of do our physicals and get back into it. So within the next two three weeks, we'll be up and running. First team will be back. Academy's back in training. Second team is back. So we're just kind of right back to where we were and. And continue to go. So um, obviously with my role with the 19s and then working with the second team and my role is also helping kind of guide the, the academy coaches. I'll be, I'll be in the ground scooting next week uh, <laughs> um, uh, as soon as we get back. So, well, let me ask you this, man. Are you demoing during training? I haven't demoed in years, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Like I wear tennis shoes out there and like I'm around college athletes. You're around some of the best academy kids in the country. It's like, Hey, here's the drill. I need you to show me this. Like yes. they're doing it all the time. Why? So I see these coaches out there wearing cleats and so I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Knock it off. Uh, so part of the reason why I haven't demoed in years is because of the ankle. Um, yes. But the reason why it's like, I'm, I demo like I'll go and do a passing pattern. I'll demonstrate like body shape and those things. But I'm not like I'm not jumping into a round I'm not jumping into a forty-four by three. Like I'll kind of walk through, and then if there needs to be a high-level demo, I'll get a kid that actually do it because I can't move anymore. Right. Um, but I've come to terms of not playing anymore. I was at a coaching course, uh, twenty nineteen, and it was day two, and the coaches had to <laughs> the coaches had to be the uh, the players. Because yeah. in the morning and in the afternoon, the players actually come out. So um, this was this was so when I first moved 2017, I just had my surgery um, six months prior to that. I moved. So I never really got into like proper rehab. So for the, the year and a half prior to that, I was just lame and like I could barely even move. So six months prior to this coaching course, I'd started PT again. And I was starting to feel really good, and I'd miss playing so much that like, I was uh -oh. starting to play. <laughs> this is a bad recipe. Yeah, this is a bad recipe. So this was 
our academy preseason starts in August, so I'm starting to play a little bit more and get involved and starting to kick the ball around. It's like, I've got the itch again. So uh, coaching course comes. They say, hey, they send out an email, say, hey, uh, let you know part of this course you have to play. I send them a note back. I said, hey, I just had ankle surgery. Like, I'm probably not going to be able to play that much. I, I can gladly hop in goal. Like, just let you know I'm not going to be able to play. So I wasn't expecting to play. Uh, we go out day one, like running around, having a warm-up. I was like, oh, I feel pretty good. Like, maybe yeah. I get into the Rondo yeah. tomorrow. So I go into the Rondo, playing on the Rondo. I wasn't feeling great. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to the small side of game. This looks fun. Getting to the small side of game about 15 minutes in. Uh, ball gets – I'm playing center back. Ball gets crossed in, gets played to the other side of the box. We end up winning the ball. Ball gets played back to our goalkeeper. Uh, I'm opening up to the goalkeeper's left. He plays me a ball that ends up like just a yard or so in front of me. I step back with my good ankle, pop my Achilles, done. I was like, nah, I'm not playing anymore. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. My God. Yeah. uh, I'm good. I was was talking to Jamie about it here because Jamie, Jamie like really picked up as a player after college. I mean, he, uh, like he was playing professionally here with the, the Lions Bridge crew, and I kept on giving yep. a hard time. Like, man, you got to stop. You got to stop. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And <laughs> he fought it off for a long time. I have a similar story. I was playing uh, le- le- my last year, I think, with the Legacy. I was coaching uh, a girls' team, and uh, I was in the same boat, man. I hopped in goal. The numbers were not even, so I was the goalie. <laughs> my team's losing 6 to nothing, so you can see the type of effort that I was giving. But then these girls started like passing me the ball. And so I'm like, all right, I'll knock it around. And there's no pressure on me or anything. So all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to knock a couple. Mm -hmm. That confidence, I'm like, oh, no. And so all right, go get a quick drink of water. And I see the crossbar. I'm like, I'm getting that crossbar. And in my backswing, I hear pop, feel it, everything, blood rushes through the whole body. Muscle memory, I still swing through, fall on the ground. I'm screaming bloody murder. I end up ripping the groin off my bone. Oh. And I'm like, I'm never playing soccer. And that was it. I will never, ever. Like, I go kick around with my kid. I'm like, we're indoors. And I'll like, I'm using the bottom of my feet. I'm rolling in the ball. I'm, yep. never, I'm never doing it again, ever. Sorry. It's, uh, it's wild. So in the, this coaching course was um, like MLS Academy coaches. Um so all the coaches there were in MLS academies. A lot of them were kind of former players or young. Probably a high level. Yeah, yeah. And still still playing. So we started the course in 2019. It got it was supposed to be a year-long course. Uh, COVID hit the next year. Uh, so we the course ended up being a three-year course um, just because things got pushed back because of COVID. And in that three years, four of us tore our Achilles. Oh, <laughs> it's funny how these kids are though man because you're right I'll, I'll like if i'm not seeing what i need to see i'll like this is maybe twice a year tops i'm like this is what i want to see and i'll like show like a i'm talking five yard movement where i round my body yeah. properly yeah. and it's funny the reaction is oh okay yeah. okay you know, these guys like yeah jerks i i did play a little growing up you know like yeah it's yeah I'll, uh, the, over, the most I'll do, do now, the most I'll do now is just jump into a a friendly rondo at the beginning of the game and try to get a meg, uh, beginning of practice and try to get a meg in, and that's when the players can see ah, Kelvin's Kelvin had a little bit left in him. Yeah. No, nope, that's about it, guys. I'm not striking any long balls. I'm not kicking anything. I'm not running. I'm not sprinting. Well, and the worst part now is because we don't play it all anymore. One of the things I worry about, not just getting hurt. That's the number one concern, but. If I were to really try to demo something, I can't imagine it's going to look very good. And I don't need these kids going like, oh, why would I listen to this guy anymore, man? You know, like, I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. Those days are over. I feel as if I went into, if I wanted to demo at top speed right now, it's a running to go kick a ball or jogging back and jumping up to head a ball. If I wanted to do it at top speed, at one point in that athletic movement, all of my muscles and bones and joints would just separate, yeah. just Over. explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. chance, man. No chance. Like, can you imagine if Bobby were to call and say, "Hey, we're we're putting the uh, staff versus players game together again"? Like, no, I, I will coach. I will coach the staff. I don't know what you want out of here, man. Those days are over. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, glory days, guys. Uh, Tell them. <laughs> 
Tell us about your experience at the World Cup. Oh, um, I don't I just know how to like to, to put it into words. Like I've had conversations with with people post post the World Cup and coming back, and like they're not actually long conversations because I I don't know how to explain it. Um, it's unique, and you kind of have to be there. And I think going into this, um, it, it's it was kind of a year-long process where I got involved with, with U.S. soccer. So I remember the first conversation that I had with my boss uh, about going into to one of the camps. It was a 20s camp uh, two, two falls ago. Um, gave me, pulled me aside. I said, hey, U.S. soccer, Brian McBride reached out, said, asked if you would be interested in, in going to camp with the 20s. I was like, seriously? Yeah. Like, you want to do it? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Like, you never really think as a coach that that is a kind of a pathway, an opportunity, and it's it's one that you kind of don't say no to. Um, and then what I've, I've been blessed, the club's been super uh, supportive of all of my involvement with anything that I've done with the national team. And and I remember in that part of that conversation, is hey, you never know what's gonna, what will happen. You, know, you get yourself to a World Cup. Like, yeah, I mean, why not? That sounds great. And within that next year, uh, the 20s had a World Cup and the 17s had a World Cup. So was, you never know. Like you go to this camp, and I wasn't expecting anything post this event with the 20s. I really enjoyed my time. I learned a ton from the staff, and I got along quite well with the staff. And um, I guess the old adage, like, it's who you know that kind of gets you in the door, which I don't know how I got, but I'm sure it's because of connections that I've had somewhere. Uh, it's kind of what you know that keeps you there. And my experience and my time with the 20 staff led to an opportunity with the 17 staff uh, about a few months later. Uh, the 17s coach is typically the assistant for the 20s. And the reason why the 20s called me in is because the 17s had an event at the same time. So once that was done, the tw- the 17s coach, assistant coach, um, took a job, a new job at a MLS Next Pro Club. And the 17s had an opening. So the relationship between the 20s and 17s coach said, hey, is there anybody that you recommend to at least come in for this camp? And the 20s coach recommended me to go into this camp. And I went to a camp in January last year. Um, and again, didn't expect anything of it. And it all worked out well and got along well with the staff. But it was also the last camp before U17 World Cup qualifiers. So in the back of my mind, I kind of thought if, like, if I do well, things go out well, go well. Like I would imagine they want to keep the staff together. And uh, things went well and had the opportunity to go to qualifiers. Uh, we qualified. <clears throat> And in that moment, you kind of realize, like, ah, you, I'm, I'm going to be in a World Cup. Um, and you think of a World Cup, like, if it, if, for me, there's kind of two World Cups that you think about in terms of, like, prestige of a World Cup. Obviously, the World Cup, the Senior World Cup, and then the 17s World Cup. Um, obviously, the 20s have a World Cup, but I don't think in terms of the coaching world, I think there's more notoriety around the 17s World Cup um, than the 20s. And I think more so for us, cheese as well, because um, when we were – our U17 year was at Landon Donovan year, the Gucci year. It's the actually the group that made it the farthest. They made it to the semifinal. Um, so um, for me personally, I was when I was younger, I was a part of that group and, and played with a lot of those guys and kind of missed out on my opportunity to be that as a player. Um, and then when the opportunity came up to be that, be a part of it as a coach, it was really, really special. Um so I think that's why I'd say it's difficult to kind of put in words my experience of it because it's so um, kind of personal to to my kind of development as a coach, my pathway as a coach and a player. And then to kind of come for a circle of that, I'm not going to say how many years, but a lot of years later, <laughs> was kind of unique. And then just the World Cup itself, it was, it was in Indonesia. Um, uh, it's a part of the world that I can say that I never – I wanted to go to, but I would say I, I was never wanting to go to because it's so far and I hate flying. <laughs> um, but the the World Cup, and you're not going to say you're not going to go to the World Cup because you hate flying. Not, you don't want to be in a 14-hour, 15-hour flight. So um, to be in that part of the world was really, really special. Um, so there were two kind of parts to the experience. Like there was a 10-day pre-camp in Bali, <laughs> which – I missed because uh, I had responsibilities at the club uh, that I had to take care of, which is fine. It was great. Uh, so I missed all of the pre-camp, which was all the preparation to get ready for the event itself. So by the time I got uh, to the World Cup, we were in the, the capital of Jakarta, 
and it was it was work. Um, so kind of my role was kind of the second assistant, kind of helped with opposition scouting, um, obviously uh, in day training and game kind of management. But by the time I got there, we were in a hotel in the. I doubt you guys have ever been to Jakarta, but it's massive. 35,000, 35 million people. I mean, it's just a sprawling city. Um, so by the time we got there, there's not a ton to do because it's practice, maybe two days of training, practice, two days of training, and then we're right into the event, uh, right in the game. So as soon as the game is over, you're preparing for the next game. So there wasn't much kind of a cultural experience um, for me, but the like what I've what I've learned or kind of taken away just whether it's the world cup or just my time at the national team period is you're working in a completely different capacity, a completely different environment. So here at my club, I've always been a head coach and kind of transitioning into kind of an assistant coach now with the second team. Uh, but there I'm truly an assistant and I'm hyper-focused on these tasks. And uh, it was really neat to see, to be a part of, um, a staff where everybody is trusted to be within their own lane, execute within your own lane, which is also then for the greater good for the players and the success of the group. So kind of learning that skill set um, as an assistant coach is really, really beneficial. It's been beneficial for me over the last year or so being with the national team um, and things that I've taken away from the national team that I've actually able been hopefully to bring to the club and kind of implement within the club uh, to kind of make our coaches and our player pool better so that's awesome i saw you on tv and uh i don't know if you were like doing something in warm-ups or whatever but you were sweating like crazy it was Um, hot (laughs) (laughs) it was so hot (laughs) um so you you, you're uh like what's the next step there like will you continue to fill roles there or are you just kind of at their at their mercy, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like my experience with last year with the Seventeens was great. Uh, and Gonzalo and Alex and all the other staff have been super supportive, and they've been great to work with. And uh, whether I work with them again or not, um, with the national team, there are always people that will always be in touch with, and hopefully our paths continue to cross. Soccer world is small, that we we might cross again at some point. Um, I don't. I would love to be back with the national team or be a part of anything. Um, but you, you never know. I mean, just like a player for me, um, you get called in for a camp doesn't mean you're going to get called back into a camp. Um, so when you are in a camp as a player, it's about how you perform in camp that gets you the opportunity to come back. So um, uh, I think I've done uh, a good job. Uh, like I said, I've enjoyed the, the experience. I enjoyed working with the staff and, Hopefully, opportunities uh, come up at some point, and I've uh, been able, fortunate enough, to meet some some great people in U.S. soccer. And um, I don't know, like there's, a, there's no contract, there's no this. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. If I get a call, I get a call. If I don't, I don't. Um, and I will always continue to to use the things that I learned in the environment and continue to, to be in touch with the people that that were there in the environment. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't think cool. there's another camp from the anything on the boys' side for the next few months. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Yeah, definitely. It was fun to watch, to hear that you were doing that and see you on TV halfway around the world. You see the mustache? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sexy as usual. <laughs> I, uh, so, it was obviously November. No shave November. So, was about a month before the World Cup. They actually had a pre-camp in Brazil. And all of the support staff, the, the analysts and ATCs and docs had kind of bonded and said, yeah, when we go to the World Cup, we're, gonna, we're going to do mustaches. And I tell them, you're like, no, I'm not going to do a mustache. Uh, <laughs> so I got there. I was like, all right, well, I'll do it for one game. So I did it for, I think it was the second game. And, of course, we won that game. So you're like, oh, I got to keep it. Yeah, keep <laughs> I got to keep rolling. Right, right. So, but I, I shaved it, uh, and it was about 12-hour difference. So I can only talk really talk to the family when they woke up before they went to school and then kind of right before I went to bed. So I FaceTimed my wife, uh, and she hadn't seen it. So I FaceTimed her, and the connection was a little bit bad, so she could hear me, but she couldn't see me. 
And then when the camera came on, she said she almost turned it off because she thought she was talking to the wrong person. <laughs> she like, and then she saw it and she started dying laughing. She's like, what are you doing? That's a mustache. <laughs> but you're not going back to it, safe to say. Safe to say, yeah, I'm not going back to it. Yeah. This Shame is really grace. Man. Oh, man. Looks good. Yeah. Looks Seasoned. Good. Seasoned. Yeah, yes. A little salt and pepper. Yeah. Um, cool. You guys have anything else? Good, man. It's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. you guys as well. Enjoyed it. I'm happy to do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. We will, for sure. I'll um, definitely give you a call when um, when we iron out our details. It's in September. It'll be the last weekend in September. So I don't know what that normally looks like for you guys, but uh, uh, we'll be out there during that time. Actually, hold on. Let me see. I gotta schedule on some stuff. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com/matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast, so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.